Um, I've been getting some flyers through the post recently, and uh, this is one that came just the other day. You may have got something similar. It was just a freebie in one of the uh, magazines, and it says here, uh, 99 tips for your retirement. Uh, 99 tips for your retirement, and I, I haven't even opened it because I'm not sure I have time to read 99 <laughs> tips for my retirement. Four or five I might be able to get through, but 90, 99 uh, but don't worry, I'm not going to give you 99 uh, tests uh, today. We're talking about testing the ministry of the Word of God. I'm going to give you five tests from Scripture itself. But before we do that, just let's remind us of what the Word of God says. This is First Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 19, where we read that we are not to quench the Spirit, Not to put out the Spirit or extinguish the Spirit. Uh, Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Do not despise them. That is the gift of prophecy in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit gift of prophecy that brings the Word of God. But test them all. They need to be tested. They're not on the same level as the apostolic Word, which is the Lord's command, uh, which Paul says in verse 27 His word is to be read out to all the brothers and sisters. It's not to be questioned. But uh, notice why we are to test them all. We're to test in order that we can hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. Now, I'm not going to repeat everything I said last week about prophecies in the New Testament and whether or not that gift is for today's church. Christians differ on that. You'll have to listen to last week's recording. But I want us to ask, how are we to test all things? How are we to test any ministry of the Word of God so that we can hold on to what is good? And that is relevant whether it's a sermon, like I'm giving today. It's relevant whether it's a podcast, whether it's something on YouTube, whether it's something on TV. It's relevant for Christian conferences where you go to hear speakers. It's relevant for house groups, home groups. It's relevant for SU camps, Christians and sport camps. It's relevant for anything we read. Wherever anyone says anything on behalf of the Lord, then we can weigh carefully. Remember, that's the language Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 14. We can weigh carefully what they say by using these five tests. Now, these five tests, these are helpfully listed by John Stott. In his commentary, I'm going to adapt uh, and add to one or two of them, but I'm basically using his, his framework here, which is, which is very helpful. And they're all based, they all come out of Scripture itself, these, these five tests. But just a word of caution before we begin. This is not an invitation to become a heresy hunter or a, a nitpicking pedant. You know what a nitpicker is? You know what a nit is? You know well, it'd be easy to find one in my hair, I suppose. But, you know, you're searching searching for anything that might be there, looking for a nit. But we're not to be nitpicking pedants as Christians. We're not to be heresy hunters. We're not to pour every fine detail. Because that is to become a, a self-righteous critic rather than to humble ourselves under the word of God. It is a call to exercise wise and godly discernment in order to hold on to what is good. Uh, John Calvin, you might be surprised at him saying this, but he says, you know, at times good and godly teachers miss the mark. 
including himself, including myself, we all do. It's God's word is infallible. We are not. I am not. But Calvin says in such cases where it is a case of a good and godly teacher missing the mark, that we should show forbearance, we should show patience and forgiveness and kindness rather than refusing to listen to anything else they have to say. So with that, with that word of caution in mind, that we're not to become heresy hunters or uh, pedantic nitpickers, here are, the, here are the five tests. The first one is perhaps the most obvious. How do we test anything that claims to be from uh, the Lord, a word of the Lord, a ministry of the word? Well, the first basic test is the truth of Scripture itself. The plain truth of Scripture. So I'm going to get you to do a little bit of Bible work today. So here's the, here's the reference for this. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Okay. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. And this is when actually Paul and Silas and Timothy had left uh, Thessalonica and then gone to the next place called Berea. And we read that the Jewish community in Berea The Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica or Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The Bereans examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So that's the first test of any ministry of the word of God. The first test, is this message faithful to the scriptures? Is this message faithful to the Scriptures, to the Word of God? And for us to be able to apply that test, of course, we need to know our Bibles. We need to know the Scriptures. As I mentioned last week, it would all be very handy if there was just a button we could press to download something with a click of a mouse to download the whole Bible into our our minds and our hearts. But that is, of course, not the way we live as Christians because it's about a relationship, isn't it? It's a relationship. It is getting to know God as we hear from him through his word. It's like when you meet someone, even if you're going to spend the rest of your lives with them, you don't download your full knowledge of them in your first meeting. There are no shortcuts to getting to know the Bible other than to read it, to study it, to dwell on it, to meditate on it. Using, of course, we're so blessed in this day and age, we have so many helps and aids in that way, in Bible reading notes and commentaries. But if we want to know the truth of Scripture so that we can use it as a test, then we need to know our Bibles. So the first test is this. Is this message faithful to Scripture? And in order to apply that test, we need to know the Word of God. Second test, the person of Jesus Christ this is from 1 John, so John's first letter, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. So near the end of the Bible, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude Revelation, 1st John, same Apostle John who wrote the Gospel. But then we have these three letters from him near the end of the Bible. So here is the second test, the person of Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 4, beginning to read at verse 1. Dear friends, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. 
Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus, does not confess Jesus, is not from God. Now John was writing about those who denied the incarnation, the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had become fully human. That's why he says, Every spirit that acknowledges or confesses that Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That was the the heresy at the time was people saying, oh, Jesus was not fully human. He did not come as fully human. But many, many other heresies and many other false teachings have something to do with the person of Jesus Christ or the work of Jesus Christ. It may not be the doctrine of the incarnation. So the test is this, does this message that claims to be from the Lord, does this message honor the person of Jesus Christ? Because as Jesus himself says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. John chapter 5 verse 23, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So those who do not give Jesus his proper place in terms of his person and his work are not honoring God, even though they may claim to be doing so. So that's the second test. How are we able to apply that test? Well, we need to know Jesus. We need to know our Lord and Savior. We need to know who he is. We need to know what he is like. We need to know what it is he has come to do. If we do apply this test to the ministry of the word of God. So that's the second test, the person of Jesus Christ. And we need to know our Lord and Savior as he's revealed to us in the pages of scripture so that we can test the word. So the first test is the truth of scripture. The second test is the person of Jesus Christ. The third test is the gospel of grace the gospel of grace. And the reading for this, the reference for this is Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, 9, and we'll also reference verse 10. So Galatians chapter 1. Paul writing to the church, or the churches actually in Galatia, in modern day Turkey. At verse 8, Paul writes the apostle, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. Let them be anathema. And you think, well, Paul, that's, uh, did you get carried away there, Paul? Was that just a slip of the quill? No, he says it again, verse 9. As we have already said, no, I, I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse curse, anathema. Here's the third test, the gospel of grace. Does this message of the word accurately present the free offer of the gospel? Because that was the issue in Galatia, wasn't it? There were these people called the Judaizers who were saying you need to be circumcised to be a Christian. You need to be circumcised. Paul says, no, No, Christ is everything. Christ is everything and has done everything. There's no need for circumcision or anything else to be a Christian. 
You don't become a Christian by reading your Bible, by attending church, by saying prayers or any of these other good things. You don't become a Christian by leading a good life. You become a Christian when you put the whole of your life into the hands of Christ and Christ alone. So the question we ask is what? Well, here's the, here's the formula. Um, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. In terms of the gospel, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Now, here's a little bit of a subheading under this third test, the gospel of grace. This is not from, from Stott, but from, a, from myself. It also arises from Galatians. But what is the place of the cross of Christ in the gospel of grace? What is the place of the cross in the gospel of grace? And I ask that question as a kind of test in, in two ways, both in terms of the the atonement, the centrality of Christ's death on the cross, what it represents and what it means, is the atonement, the atoning, the wrath-turning, the sin-covering work of Christ at the heart of the cross in the gospel message. But secondly, also, in terms of the nature of Christian discipleship, in terms of Christian living. Because we live in a time and an age where so many messages that claim to be from the Lord do away with the cross in terms of its impact on our Christian living, never mind its centrality as an atoning work. What I mean is this, authentic Christian living has a willingness to embrace and endure suffering here and now for the sake of the glory to come. Look at Galatians 1 verse 10. Paul writes, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And then at the end of the letter, Galatians 6 verse 12. Galatians 6 verse 12. Paul writes again, Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised, you know, to add something on to the gospel of grace. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ, to avoid the offense of the cross, to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. You see, the authentic servant of Christ who preaches the cross of Christ will not be a people pleaser. His word from the Lord will not always be an easy word to give or a comfortable word to hear. It will not give people with itching ears what they want to hear. And we need to be, we need to be so aware of this because I have to say in 35 years of encountering various prophetic messages, either firsthand from uh, at different occasions, right back when I was a student in Dundee to when I was meeting with a group of brothers and sisters in Glasgow to things that were passed on to me secondhand. I've heard a good number of these. Some of you will have heard more, but in every case, as far as I can recall, in every case, the prophecy was a positive one. Every case. 
Revival is just around the corner. Revival is coming from the north or from the west. If you compare that with examples of prophecy, let's leave to the side the inspired Old Testament prophecies, and they're full of warnings of judgment. Uh, Take the two clearest examples of New Testament prophecy and the Acts of the Apostles, the New Testament gift of prophecy. The two clearest examples we have in the Acts of the Apostles are from a man called Agabus, who in Acts chapter 11, verse 27 and 28, prophesied that there would be a famine in the reign of Claudius. Agabus appears again towards the end of Paul's life, Acts 21, verse 10 and 11. He says, he takes, the, he takes the belt, doesn't he? He ties his hands and says, the owner of this belt is Paul's belt. The owner of this belt will be arrested and handed over to Gentiles in Jerusalem. And the people who were with Paul at that time were so upset, they begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, your experiences may be different. I, I, I completely accept that. I understand my experiences. But I have to say, I think there is something here that, that is missing when we're applying the test of the gospel of grace and the cross of Christ to those words that claim to come from the Lord. There is something clearly wrong here. If The only words that the Lord gives to his church are positive ones. Whereas in the Bible, they are full of warnings as well as the good news of salvation. Just remember Agabus. So that's the, that's the third test. Does this message present the gospel of grace and the cross of Christ? Or is it a people-pleasing message? Is it simply giving to folks what they want to hear? How are we to apply that test? Well, we need to know the gospel, don't we? We need to know what the gospel of grace is, that it is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We need to know that the gospel is an invitation to take up your cross and follow Christ. It is not a promise of health and wealth for everyone in every way here and now. So know the gospel, know what grace is, know the centrality of the cross in our salvation and in our discipleship. So the truth of Scripture, the person of Christ, the grace of God in the gospel, and the cross of Christ in that gospel. Fourth test is this, and this is so relevant today as well. The fourth test when we're assessing in a a humble and godly way any ministry of the Word of God is this. It is the character of the speaker. The character of the speaker. This comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 and 16. This is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. False prophets and false teachers who look like sheep, harmless, friendly, fluffy sheep. But they are really fierce wolves in disguise. And you know, despite Jesus' words, and many of us here will be familiar, even those in the wider population are are familiar with that expression, a wolf in sheep's clothing. 
despite what Jesus says here, I think that very often we still expect, we still expect enemies of the cross to appear as wolves. But Jesus says, no, they will appear as sheep. They will be genial and smiling and pleasant. They will use the language of Zion. They will speak of love and grace and truth. They will captivate their listeners with their gifts and abilities and charisma, while all the time they are feeding the flock of Christ with poison and sowing the seeds of division in the church and sending unbelievers on challenge to hell. Wolves dressed up in sheep's clothing. Beware. I don't have time to go into this in detail, but beware. I came across this in Glasgow and it took me a while to work out what was going on, but I, 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 finally, I finally worked out that what was happening was that, if I put it like this, liberal theology was being dressed up in evangelical language. Or put it another way, unbiblical teaching was being dressed up with biblical words. Wolves presenting in sheep's clothing. We need to be discerning. So how are we to do that? Well, Jesus says, by their fruit you will recognize them. What does he mean by that? But I think it does mean something of the person's character and conduct. And the implication of that means, in terms of, of using this test, is that we should not be hasty in listening to those whose conduct and character you do not know, whose fruit you do not know. And that's such a relevant warning. Stott makes this comment. He wrote that commentary in 1991. Now here we are 30 years later in the age of the internet and podcasts and all kinds of things available at the click of a mouse. Isn't this such a relevant warning today in the days of satellite TV? Where you can listen to your favorite podcast or online service recorded hundreds, thousands of miles away and know nothing about the character or the conduct of the speaker. And how often... How often have we seen the big names exposed? And then the stories come out of those who knew them, of those who worked closely with them, of how they were bullies, of how they shut down any criticism, how they abused people. So does this message come from someone whose character and conduct is consistent with their Christian profession? Know your teacher. Know your teacher. Fifthly and finally, is this message for the benefit of the church? This is from 1 Corinthians 14, that chapter that deals specifically with prophecies in many ways. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3 and 4. And then also verse 26 and verse 31. And you will see time and again what gifts are given for and what the gift of prophesying was for. So the one who prophesies, this is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3 and 4. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies or builds up themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Verse 26 of the same chapter, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Verse 31, you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed 
and encouraged. Do you see the words Paul is using here? Strengthened, encouraged, comforted, edified, built up, instructed. And that tells us that the ministry of the Word of God in whatever shape or form it takes is not for the benefit of the speaker or the teacher. It is for the good of the church. It is to benefit the church. It's not to build up an army of followers. It's not to build up a reputation. It is to build up the church, the church of Jesus Christ. Does this message, does this message of the Word build up the church of Jesus Christ? And what do we need to know to apply that test? Well, we need to know this. This is from Ephesians 5, verse 27 and 28. We need to know that Christ loved the church and still loves the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That is Christ's vision for the church. That is Christ's plan for the church. That is Christ's heart and desire for the church. The church he loves, the church he gave himself up for to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, through the ministry of the word of God. So does this message build up the church of Jesus Christ? So there you have it, five tests. The truth of Scripture. We need to know our Bibles. The person of Jesus Christ. We need to know our Lord and Savior. There's the gospel of grace and the place of the cross in the gospel of grace. We need to know the gospel. We need what grace is. We need to know the place of the cross. Fourthly, does do we know the character of the speaker? We need to know our teacher. And then fifthly, does this message build up the church of Jesus Christ? Know that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word. So five tests and five things to know so that together... That together, as a church, we might not quench the Spirit, but having tested all things, hold on to that which is good, so that we might glorify God and respond to His Word, respond to His revelation with joy and prayer and thanksgiving. Amen. Father, we thank you that you've not left us on our own to walk this Christian life. And amid all the snares and dangers and false teachers, you have given us your word and your spirit. And together, Father, with your word and your spirit, we are able to, uh, to test all things, to weigh carefully what anyone says or writes uh, purporting to come from you. Help us, Father, to know the Scriptures, to know your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to know the gospel of grace and the centrality of the cross of Christ. Help us to know our teachers, to be discerning. And help us to know that you want to build the church because Christ has loved the church and given himself for her, for us, so that we may be holy and blameless through the washing of 
with the water of your word and be presented as a a, a radiant bride on the day to come. In Jesus' name, amen.